Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican Communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Welcome, dear listener, to episode 86 of the Living Church Podcast. Now do the math. 14 episodes from now, we will be celebrating episode number, really big episode. Great job. I think you did the math right. So if you have ideas to pitch in for our 100th episode in about seven months, send them on to ambernoel at livingchurch.org. I'd love to see what you have in mind. Now, right now, at this very moment that this episode is airing. I am in Oklahoma City. It is likely that I'm sweating because it's really hot in Oklahoma right now. Actually, no, I'm probably not because I am in the cool, wonderful, air-conditioned, beautiful space of All Souls Episcopal Church at the Love's Redeeming Work Conference. That's that very conference for young leaders that I've been gabbing on about for a couple of weeks. Maybe you are at this conference. Maybe Today, you are going to stop by the Living Church book table that I'm manning, womaning, and you're going to check out our new books, purchase a shiny new copy of one of our volumes on Christian unity and the Anglican communion. But if you're not here right now in Oklahoma City, te absolvo. We'll catch you next time. I will keep y'all updated on our events. We have, for example, a very exciting, like I am all a tremble about this trip, guys, Anglican Heritage Pilgrimage in the Works, a spiritual and literary tour of England early next summer. So watch out for more info about that. And if you do want to check out our books, just click a link in the show notes. That'll take you to a place where you can find out more or just go ahead and purchase yourself a copy. And finally, a day belatedly, happy feast of St. Matthew to many of our listeners. Now, I don't know where you were when you first started feeling the stirrings of a call, a call to the faith, to a deeper, more inquiring life, to a vocation, to the ministry, to engineering or motherhood or nursing. Today, we're going to take a look at what Jesus might mean when he looks at someone doing their job and says, hey, come, follow me. 
And specifically, we'll talk about how this might work with young adults fresh out of college and just beginning their careers, and how other Christians can help them to hear and obey that call early. Joining me to tell me what she knows about this, and she knows quite a lot, is my friend Teresa Wilson. Teresa is the director of the Louisville Fellows Program in Kentucky and has a passion for developing young leaders committed to the flourishing of the local economy. She is married to the Reverend Clint Wilson, an Episcopal priest, and they have a rambunctious four-year-old named James, and she'd like me to add an equally tolerant black lab named Denver. You can find out more about the Louisville Fellows by clicking the link in our show notes today. Now, sharpen your pencils, because you may have graduated, but school is not over yet. We've got a lot of learning to do. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Girl, I see a laminating machine behind you. So this used to be the director of communications office. So every once in a while, someone will be like, can I come make a poster in your office? Can I come laminate a world map in your office, please? It's great. Great. Well, it's good to see you. You look good. Are you feeling good? Yeah. You know, we got back from our vacation this past weekend and we like went hiking every day. That's kind of our, our way that we sort of restore our souls. So it was awesome. And we were, our cabins in a valley. So every hike we did was just like elevation gain, which was awesome. So it's good for us. Were you on one of those trails that where you had ropes along the way where you had to actually stabilize to get up some rocks or climb some ladders? No, many of the trails at some point you're climbing over rocks, but nothing where you're like on it, like holding on to like a a rung or something. It's always more like scrambling over rocks. I did Grandfather Mountain in North Carolina a few weeks ago, and it was scrambling, but we had ropes. So it sounds like you guys deserve the prize. What's something that you saw up there or you heard or you smelled that you really loved? Uh, So we saw a bear on a hike, which has like been a goal of mine is like to see a bear in the wild, but from like a safe distance. And we were hiking one day and this big boy, I mean, he was like, we think he's the same one that a lot of people have been seeing. And the ranger says, says he's like over 500 pounds. So he's a big boy for a black bear. And um, we heard an animal, probably like an injured animal that he was on his way to. So we were trying to figure out where this animal was. And then all of a sudden we heard this rustling beside us. And this bear just sort of like lumbers out of the bushes. <laughs> and Denver, our dog, was off leash at that time. So I like grabbed her. And then Clint was like, just start backing away. So I start backing away. Of course, I trip over a root and fall like flat on my back. Oh no. We all know in the movies, like what would happen then. But fortunately, I mean, that's not even really a funny joke, Teresa. I'm sorry. We, we really were like, well, now we know if we're on a group hike, I will be the one eaten. It's okay. Everybody else. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. It's like, Teresa, move three feet to the right. Everybody run. So Teresa, we are going to chat today about this really interesting leadership development program for recent college graduates that you are the director of. So first, tell us, what are you doing in Louisville? What's the vision of the fellows program and what does an average day look like? Yeah, absolutely. So the vision of the fellows program at large is to seed local cities with leaders who are Christians and whose faith fuels their vocation to strengthen these cities, to contribute to the common good, and then to pursue restoration. So essentially, we're Mm -hmm. wanting to work with recent college graduates to help them form 
their vision of what it means to be a Christian in any number of industries. So we're really wanting to form leaders holistically such that they know themselves well and such that they can then serve the city well, serve the local church well, and serve the kingdom of God well. There are 34 programs across the country. We are one of those. They started in the early 90s in Falls Church, Virginia. So it's it's an Episcopal program? It originally started in an Episcopal church. It is now multi-denominational. So programs are always tied to local churches, and there are Episcopal churches, Anglican churches, Presbyterian churches, non-denominational, Baptist, sort of you name it, it's across the board now. So a very ecumenical feel, which which I love about the program. We do too. You know, we're all about that around yeah, here. Yeah, it's, it's a good match. Exactly. So what happened was that Father John Yates started to notice that young adults coming out of college Many of them had been tied in college to a campus ministry as the primary form of their Christian community. And so he realized coming out of college, how do we tie these young adults back into the local church, realizing that that is their primary community for the rest of their life? And how do we not just tie them to the church, but then also have them serve in the church and see that as a vital way to contribute to God's work as well? And then also helping them understand how they're made when it comes to vocational calling. So helping them become more self-aware such that they know what might be a good field to go into. So that was sort of the founding of the program back in the early 90s. Now we're about 30 years in, in 34 locations. So it's grown quite a bit, which has been amazing to see. And as far as an average day, so so on a Sunday, a, a fellow will be coming with their host family to their local church where the program is is sponsored. So most programs are host family based. They're ah, not okay. Most fellows are living with a family from the church where the program is located. And this is meant to be what I like to call an intergenerational intentional community. It is in no way college grad moving back in with mom and dad. It is rather adults doing life together, learning from one another, learning how to learn from these different phases of life that we're in. So I'm, I'm seeing that you're actually going against a cultural narrative here because you're, you're saying, okay, we're we're not going to either move back in with mom and dad, which sometimes you have to do, and that can be mm. a you know wise financial decision, et cetera. But we're neither right. going to move back in with our blood family, nor are we just mm-hmm. going to strike off on our own. But in fact, striking off in vocation means rooting and means embedding yourself in commitments and in relationships. Yes, exactly. And it's really a way to sort of embrace radical hospitality, which the church has been known through throughout history. It is families opening their homes to a stranger, welcoming them in for nine months, developing those, that rootedness, like you're talking about in that intentional community versus sort of an independent jump into your career in post-college life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also seeing that it kind of knocks career back a peg. So it Mm -hmm. says we're exploring vocation and yeah, we're going to focus on how your calling as a Christian is influencing your career, but your career is not on a pedestal. Like this is part of this holistic picture is putting, putting career in its place essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. And realizing that it is only in the context of having your spiritual life rightly aligned that you can thrive and be healthy in that work context. So how are you positioning your faith as your primary identity and the primary way that you grow, seeing that as most important. And then out of that flows the health to have these other relationships, to have this vocation. That's beautiful. So what does that average Sunday through Tuesday look like? 
Yeah. So they're going to be coming with their host family to church and then they're going to serve in church. So all the fellows typically are working with the youth ministry at the local churches they're placed at. So it's it's a, a way for them to mentor a younger generation of Christians because we always want our fellows to have a mentor. So someone older pouring into them and we want them to pour into the younger generation. And we want them to see that as a model for life based on First Timothy. And then Typically in the afternoon on Sunday, they're doing homework and reading because on Monday morning, they're in class for a few hours. And these are seminary level classes that they're taking. Many programs have a, an actual affiliation with a seminary so mm. that fellows can receive credits. Um, and then after class, we have leadership lunch where we have any number of city leaders coming in to talk about how their faith impacts their industry. So this is giving fellows a vision for whatever industry they're going into. Here's someone farther along in that path. You can say, this is how I see God's character come into play and in what I'm doing. If you're a leader, especially, you're going to be touching the way the way people are treated. That's going to be a big part of your job. Integrity and the way that you're running a company. If you are someone who's like entry level and you're putting data in spreadsheets, yeah, that's a character of God. Organization, bringing order out of chaos, serving others through that data that you're presenting. So if your job is cleaning the boardroom, you are creating a hospitable environment. God is a God of radical hospitality. So seeing every part of your vocation touching a character of God and creating space for others is really huge. So. Yeah. Well, gosh, we're only on Monday. We've touched all these theological concepts. And we're only on Monday. So we've got this luncheon. We've got people coming in, talking about their own vocations and how they're interacting with the careers and their calling as Christians. And so then where do we go? So Monday night, they have one other piece that they're doing as a group, which is round table. So every Monday night, they come together, they take turns cooking for one another. So they're learning how to be hospitable in that way towards one another. And then they all take turns sharing their faith journey stories with each other and leading topical discussions. So giving them leadership experience in that way is important as well and having them develop dynamic community. And then the rest of the week, Tuesday through Friday, they are working in their field in the city. So we help match them to a job in the city. And what I like to tell my fellows is there's a rhythm here. What you are thinking through in the classroom and with your peers and with leaders in the city on Monday, you're putting to, to practice in the laboratory of the job environment the rest of the week. So there's that rhythm of let's think through these things together. Let's then put it into practice. Let's come together and think some more. Let's put it into practice. So that is the regular flow of the program all year. Does this have any relationship for you to monasticism? Yes, in that you are developing a rhythm of life together as a community that is very intentional. We have pretty high standards and high expectations for our fellows within that rhythm of life. There is a, a sacrificial aspect, which honestly, we tell yeah. the fellows, this program is not meant to serve you. This program is to help you learn how to serve others. Oh, that is spicy. Yeah, so coming in, as these young adults who've just been served heavily for four years in college. Right. Our higher education system is very student focused and they pay tuition to be a part of our program. So we're saying, yes, you're paying tuition and you are not the focus here. Mm. So it's sort of a flip of the script for them coming out of college. Do you guys have scholarships that you offer to people? Because I'm thinking rich leadership formation opportunities that come with a price tag sometimes become cost prohibitive for people who don't have the money, but they would just make fantastic leaders. So do you currently have some scholarship stuff in place? We do. Yes. Because of that, exactly. We want to make this program accessible to anybody coming out of undergrad who might want to do it. We had an international student who was a fellow one year. She was able to be a part of our program and offer so much wisdom 
from coming from a different part of the world and having a different perspective. So we absolutely want to make this accessible to anybody. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to talk about here, Teresa. Okay. Let, let me get a little personal, go into your life. So yeah. I, I love young adults. And mm-hmm. part of the reason that I love young adults, I love teenagers is because college and post-college were very formative times for me. Mm-hmm. And there were people there to challenge me, to ask important questions, to support me in certain ways. But then there were also significant gaps where I had questions unanswered and I had to, I felt that I had to struggle with them on my own. But places where I could have really used more support or honestly used more of a goad, somebody to just challenge me and say, you know, girl, get off your tushy and, and you know, get something done, like get off your tuchus and just do it. Or apprenticeship, something like an apprenticeship. So what did your early adulthood look like? And does it have a relationship to why you're doing what you're doing now? Yeah, I think it does. When I was in undergrad, I had people, professors who poured into me in ways that helped me to grow in my faith and ask questions that I had never thought to even ask before. So that's pouring into me as a young adult was really critical to me than figuring out what does my faith look like in culture? Mm-hmm. And how does my faith affect my vocation? And then after undergrad, I went to seminary. And at that point, I knew that I also loved working with young adults and loved doing leadership development. And so I combined a seminary degree with classes in higher education. I wanted to tie my faith to working with young adults in the education system. I was primarily working at universities and colleges that were not religiously affiliated. Mm. And I saw the opportunity to invest in young adults in a time that's so critical Mm -hmm. to do it in a way that would cause them to say like, why do you, why do you care so much about me? Why is your job not just nine to five? You're checking in on me going to events that I'm a part of. Why do you care so much about the direction of my life? And of course, you know, part of my response to that is that as a Christian, see Christ in every human and really actually care about the flourishing of those around me. And so I developed all these passions for that before I even knew about the fellows program, I was working at University of North Texas and had the opportunity to apply for a director role with the fellows program in Nashville. So I led the program there prior to us moving to Louisville and launching our own program here. And it was an incredible fit of my theological background with my higher education background. Obviously, God had me on a journey there. That's just incredible. I loved this little bit that I saw on your website from Genesis 1. You're referencing the institution of work in Genesis 1. And you said, we recognize that all humans being made in God's likeness are created for work. And yet through the fall, Genesis 3, work has become toilsome and laborious, sweat of the brow, etc. So how do we as Christians reclaim work as life-giving and purposeful? And I know that this question isn't just a question for young adults, obviously. Mm. But it does sound to me like, like when I was working as a youth minister— I often thought of the problems that I saw people my age having now in their lives because of misinformation or malformation when they were younger and trying to kind of do some damage control in reverse, like in like retroactive damage control and say, let me just get this. Let me just help you get this straight early so that then when you're like 35 and your career goes down the tubes, you don't, you know, think that God has completely abandoned you or, you know, or you read philosophy for the first time and, you know, your brain cracks and then you think, oh, I can't be a Christian anymore. I mean, there's legitimacy to all those journeys, but I mean, putting things in place to help people go through them in a way that they feel that they have resources, that they have something to hold on to. So 
I sense something similar might be happening here. Could you describe what you're trying to build, positively speaking, or trying to nip in the bud, if you want to put it in a yeah. in a negative way? And I think of the the prevalence of anxiety and restlessness and depression related to life and relationships and work in Western societies, but especially in young people who like also Gen Z are very psychologically astute and have probably had more therapy than you and I have had at this point in their lives. And so this kind of talent and giftedness and drivenness of Gen Z, but also a lot of anxiety. And then you're, you're trying to teach them to recognize their place in work and how to work. How do you see these things holding together? One of the things you'll hear directors talk about across the country at the national level of this program is precisely that so many people might wake up in their 40s or 50s and think, how am I contributing? You know, what, what role am I really playing? What difference am I making in the world? And so our goal is for these college graduates to, to have thought through that on the front, front end of their career, to have thought through, how am I contributing? How am I contributing to the common good? How am I bringing restoration where there is brokenness? Such that when they get midway through life, they might have that question, but they already have the tools and the resources to think through it. So that is the goal is that long-term they have the theology to know how they are making an impact through whatever has God has called them to, knowing that might change throughout their lives as well. We want them to see this in all industries. and That doesn't necessarily come organically, but it's a practice, something you have to learn. And so I think our goal is that we're saying, okay, what industry are you wanting to go into? Let's think through how that exhibits characters of Christ. Let's think through how you are contributing to flourishing, how you're bringing order out of chaos or restoring order. And again, what we want to help young adults realize, and this is like very real to the work of working with fellows, this aspect of mental health and socio-emotional wellness. This is very real work to us. Helping them understand that putting things in perspective for one, helping, mm-hmm. helping them know how to, when things seem like they're going out of, spinning out of control, let's like sit back and evaluate what's going on and put this in perspective. I think that's really helpful for young adults because they are very in touch in their emotions. And yet sometimes regulating those emotions is difficult. So Learning that skill set, I think, is really important for them. And learning to, to have people pouring into their lives, to, to be in community. We live in, in a very individualized society. They have so many people pouring into them and helping them realize this is the way that we see, that we learn who we really are, is through having other people speak into that as well and not being self-absorbed by that and then overwhelmed by it. And that right perspective, I think, is important. Right, right. And the decision-making process that involves deciding which struggles to really apply yourself to and Mm -hmm. which to simply let pass Mm. and which feelings to engage and which to ignore. I mean, this is an art that you learn for the rest of your life. And it's so tied into work. It's so tied into satisfaction in relationships. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you planned on doing or is this something you realized at a certain point needed to be integrated into what you guys do? I think it's become an even greater focus at this point. The fellows that I've worked with, we read a book on faith and mental health because it's, it just needs addressed. How do you reconcile your faith with your struggle? There can be a lot of guilt around that. And so let's, let's talk about that. And then so we do some assessments with fellows and this is this is a newer aspect of the program 
We do assessments to help them understand how they're wired. Some basic gifts and skills assessments, but we also do an EQI test. So this is their emotional intelligence. What a fantastic idea. You you grow up getting tested on your IQ in one way or the other (laughs) all the time, but whoever tests you on your EQ until you realize the situation that you're in is actually a test and you're not doing that good. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that, you know, early 20 year olds often think that their EQ is higher than it is. And so it's just great for them to realize, Mm. oh, wow, my problem solving skills are like, I'm low in that area. I mean, they, they just get to see holistically. And we have consultants who are trained in these tests who process this through a retreat. And our goal is that they are self-aware such that they can exist in community well and serve in their job, volunteer roles with their peers, that they can know themselves well. The common saying is, you know, know yourself well to lead yourself well. Yeah. So you didn't make it to the conference book table today. That's okay. Go to the show notes and pick up your copies of one or both of our new books from Living Church Books, God Wills Fellowship and When Churches in Communion Disagree. Dean of Virginia Theological Seminary, Ian Markham, said that these books bring wisdom, insight, and careful analysis to the complexities of living with disagreement, that they have the potential to change the contours of the debate. We would love for Episcopalians and Anglicans of all stripes to get a hold of these books, but also if you're anyone in God's church who feels the pressures and the potential of living in divided times— Pretty good stuff, y'all. You can find both volumes in paperback on Amazon or just click the link in the show notes. Well, speaking of community, Teresa, this vision really focuses on Louisville, but Louisville is a university town, so you've got a lot of young people coming in, a lot of young people going out. What is your actual expectation that the young women and men in your program will actually stay in the area and contribute. So our goal is that they develop a love for the city and that they want to stay beyond the nine months of the program. That is not a requirement. We see success also in a fellow going on to grad school if they feel that call or they find the job that they feel is their calling where they can really serve God's kingdom. It's another city. That's fine. But we do see the necessity to have a percentage of your fellows also sticking around. We see that as critical as well. Because if you think about it, you're coming out of college. Most people are trying to figure out where they want to live and how they're going to get connected. By being a fellow, you have so many people making connections for you. I would tell our fellows in Nashville, if you participate in our program 110% all year, by the end of the year, you'll be the most self-aware, well-connected 22-year-olds in Nashville. And I really believe that. You um, will terrify all the other 22-year-olds around you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They'll love you, actually. Okay, random question for you, Teresa. When I was in college, this was very much a culture where people would say ring by spring, meaning mm-hmm. if you do not know what that means, right. you need to be engaged by the spring of your senior year. And people, I I knew many people who got married while in college, you know, at 20, 21, 22 years old, people who were planning their wedding as they were grabbing their diplomas and running out of the room. I'm just kind of curious about how romance and attraction fits into all this. Well, it's a great question because that has been a topic of conversation among directors because without fail, this happens every year. It's a it's a pretty intense program. You are doing life on life with your fellow fellows, your peers, 
day in, day out for nine months. You're with each other a lot. And most programs actually have a rule in place, I guess you could call it, that fellows cannot date one another. So fellows, if they develop an attraction, we just tell them like, hey, this is a great opportunity to continue to get to know that person. Find out for sure if you want to pursue a relationship post-program. We have had, at this point, at least two marriages out of the Nashville Fellows Program. And I will say, I'm not sure if I could speak to if, you know, if they are finding spouses faster, many of them do go on to grad school. I think it, I think what it does is it gives them the perspective of really focusing as young adults who are pretty young still, 21, 22, on what God is calling them to. Mm-hmm. So really pursuing that on the front end, I would say that those who then do begin relationships either with each other or others in the community typically have really healthy relationships because of how self-aware they are. And are able to enter into a romantic relationship in a, in a way that is not common for people their age. So they could be ready sooner to be in a serious relationship and a commitment, but they're also being equipped to sustain a good life, no matter right. if they're called to vocational singleness yep. or if they spend several more years as single. It just sounds like good preparation for life. So how does what you're teaching hit the ground? Let me give you three different kinds of jobs, and then maybe you can give a brief example of how this could take root in this kind of job. So let's say you have a student who's in a supply chain industry. You have a student who is going into education or teaching, and then you have a student who's going into the equine industry. What do these have to do with what you're teaching? Yeah, absolutely. So as far as looking at these three different industries, I would say just off the top of my head, thinking through what we would kind of talk through with our fellows in supply chain industry, a good question that we would say, okay, if this is your area of interest, think through where supplies are coming from, who, what companies are you working with? What is the treatment of the workers? What is the quality of the work? Where are resources Mm. from? Is this in line with like how God would want resources to be? use how God would want people to be treated and making sure that you're working with companies who have shared values Hmm. around as far as teaching, investing in uh, future generations, but also educating. How are we contributing to better forms of educating to making sure those in education themselves are being treated well towards making sure the marginalized students needs are being met. And let's talk about horse breeding with horse breeding. I would say, again, what are the practices you're using? You know, is it good for the animal or not? There are so many people who will work with horses in that breeding industry. Many of them are blue collar workers. How are they being treated? How are they being paid? What are their benefits? Like how how are we treating those who are working in that industry? And then also looking at holistically horse breeding and saying, what is being done well? What is broken? And how can I contribute to making this a better industry. And I think, you know, if you're thinking about those things when it comes to horse breeding, you're talking about God's care of creation, reproduction, and humanity at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Teresa, what are you seeing about the special needs and the special gifts of young adults that really stand out to you? What should listeners know? I think that we are seeing an increase in young adults who have a deep desire for people to be cared well for 
so a deep desire to understand those who are different than them and to make sure everybody is treated well. They also have a great care for the earth and for resources and for social justice issues. This is common with millennials too. And I think it's the true with Gen Z that they are thinking through things that that past generations perhaps have not thought through as well. And they are in the forefront of thinking through like, how can we make these changes such that the earth is is treated better, the animals are treated better, that we become more fully human through thinking about all these things, whether or not they realize that's what they're doing. So I think those are great, great ways that we can learn from millennials and Gen Z. And then as far as areas of need and, and ways that we can invest in them, again, just talking about that, that socio-emotional wellness. We live in an age where the ability to regulate emotions and to understand the scale of what's going on in one's life really needs to be tapped into while also realizing these these anxiety and depression issues. I mean, they're legitimate. We do live in a world that causes a lot of anxiety. Like we live in such a globalized society that we are receiving more information than we are ever meant to. And this is partly why I love the fellows program too, is that it's really trying to take fellows to the local level and say, whoa, 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 whoa. The way you can make the biggest difference and the way you can like calm your mind is by focusing local. You know, don't get hung up on all the global things going on. How can you make a change at the local level? And you can live a lot more peacefully, a lot more calmly in this way when you mm. don't try to digest everything happening in the world and think like, well, what do I need to do about it? You know, how is this affecting me? So I think that's that's a need and a way that we're addressing that is really like we are a localized program. And then I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, practice in our program of face-to-face interaction. A growing study is on the lack of communication skills of these young adults. There's a there's a book that talks about how millennials were still good at talking to each other face-to-face, but had struggles talking to other generations around them. Hmm. And then and Z is known for struggling even peer-to-peer to have face-to-face conversations. So you'll see stats about like and, and, and these scenarios where you have five girls who are like hanging out for the evening in, in one of their friends' home and they're all on their phones and they're actually texting each other or Snapchatting or whatever the case may be. They're actually communicating with each other but not face-to-face and they find that more comfortable than actually having a conversation face-to-face. So that's obviously a, a, that's a big problem. And so we are trying to help our fellows have a lot of face-to-face opportunities, not just with their peers, but with all generations such that they develop those communication and relationship skills that are becoming less and less a reality for young adults. That's great. I wish that we could all get into relational boot camp. Anybody who wanted to could figure out where is the spot that I am struggling or people of my generation are struggling and get into a relational boot camp. Some of my listeners are probably thinking, Amber, I'm already in a relational boot camp. It's called Raising toddlers or something. Yeah. It's called running a parish. So my apologies to all of you. Some, some of some of us still need some relational boot camp and emotional boot camp. So maybe that's a ministry that someone who's listening can, can start if that sparks something. Yes. Now, what if someone is in a parish or in a diocese where there is a group of young adults and that's going to be every diocese, it's going to be probably most parishes, And they would love to see young adults being formed well and investing in the local community and exploring vocation and all this good stuff, but they don't have a formal program. There's not a fellows program near them, and that's not necessarily what they want to Mm -hmm. plug into. 
What are some simple ways that they, from where they are, can start meeting the needs of young adults and challenging them to go deeper in these areas we've talked about? Yes, absolutely. And that is the reality. Many churches, this is not the calling for the church. It requires pretty like some, some significant resourcing. And so there are many ways that these churches can help the young adults in their church grow in their faith and, and grow in vocational discernment, all these things. So really briefly, we all know the stats that Pew Research has shown that young adults are leaving the church in droves. We know this. We know that these stats just keep increasing. However, what is less talked about is that Barna actually conducted some research several years ago around what keeps young adults in church. And this was a, a study on millennials, but I think it's still there's enough overlap between millennials and iGen and their characteristics that, that many of these things still apply. But there were five aspects within a church community that kept those who were involved continually involved. It's what made them want to stay connected to their church. And so I think these are five things that anybody can do in their church. They're, they happen to all be things that we focus on in the fellows program, but you don't have to have a fellows program to do these things. The things that the young adults are really looking for is is uh, to have a close relationship with another adult in the church. So having some form of mentoring of young adults in your church is something that, that they actually really want. They want, I have people at our current church who say, well, fellows aren't going to want to interact with me. I'm 70. And I'm like, you don't understand. They that actually, is such poppycock. That is not they, true. They really do. They actually want to oh, interact. Yes, of course they do. Of course they yeah. do. Exactly. So that's a great way to to really reach out to the young adults in your church. But then also another aspect that Barna found was learn how Christians can positively contribute to society. This is what young adults want to know. They want to understand how their faith can positively contribute to society because they want change in society. They're very active in that way and they're very driven in that way. And so what is it about my faith and my Christianity that means I can somehow make a positive change in society. Another aspect that they're looking for is service to the poor, the marginalized, mm -hmm. finding a cause that motivates them, something the church is doing in the community that motivates them. That's huge for young adults. Viewing their gifts and passions as part of God's calling, know how, knowing how the Bible applies to their career interests is very important. Of course, this is what we're all about with the Fellows Program. But any church can do this. Any church can walk through a book. There are so many good books on having a great theology of work and understanding how you're wired and what it means for your vocation. You can easily do a small small group study, something, have someone come and speak on gifts and passions and what it means in the, the kingdom at large. And I mean, I think one of the, I think one of the most exciting reasons to do the fellows program or to focus on this aspect with young adults that um, we live we live in the already but not yet theologically right we live in a time where Christ's work has been completed on the cross but we have not been fully redeemed we live in a broken world still and the theologians talk about in Revelation 21 24 there's a phrase used that says that the kings of the world bring their bring their treasures mm -hmm. to the throne and a lot of theologians will say that what they're referencing is the best of cultures. And so I think like young adults want to be discipled. They want to understand how their faith impacts their vocation. And to say, yeah, your faith impacts your vocation, not just now, but through, for eternity. Because your faith, I mean, because your vocation, whatever you are contributing to in the common good, that's in its fully redeemed form will be part of the new heavens and new earth. That's exciting. No matter what vocation mm. you're in, um, to realize the best of this will be a part of the new heavens and the earth fully redeemed. That's something to get behind. And so I think if churches can just, you know, help help young adults develop develop that theology, help everybody develop that theology, then we can all get excited about the work we're called to do. Could we say, in a sense, that your work 
and your workplace is like a paper map, but you bring it into the office with the laminating machine and you laminate it unto eternity. I'm really, I'm not being facetious. <laughs> I'm making a funny example because the whole point is you bring it back to the initial hook, right? You got to bring bring it back to the laminate. Or like Chekhov said, when a lamination machine appears at the beginning of the story, you have to come back to it eventually. It has to play a has yeah. to play a big part. But anyway, yeah, I, I actually did actually think of the laminating machine where you're taking something that could fall apart easily and you're making it more permanent. So so when you're bringing whatever it is you're doing into you're dedicating it to the Lord and you're applying yeah. kingdom principles to what you do, you are setting up the treatment of animals and where things come from and how much people get paid and 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 digging ditches and fixing things and dealing with the economy. You're bringing all of these things into the place where nothing good will ever be lost. And that's an incredible thing to do for the world. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's such an incredible gift to realize that we can have that sort of impact, that, that that's like what God's gifted us to do in, in calling us to work in this world, to live now as we will then, you know, to realize, yes, I can, I can take this thin sheet of paper and laminate it such that it is a gift long-term in a way that it could not be otherwise. That is a gift to others. That is a preservation. So yeah, absolutely. And really quickly, the last, as I said, there are five things I've said for, the last thing is just to understand how the Bible contains wisdom for their life. Again, discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. Well, heading out, you mentioned several really excellent books. Can you name just one that people should go out and check out? Mm, yes. Okay. So if you're wanting to learn more about Gen Z, there is one that it is, I mean, literally the title is iGen and there's like a colon. And of course I'm now blanking on the rest of it, but it's a professor who works with young adults has written it and it is incredible. It has a lot of great, I mean, it's, it's, you know, data heavy because is it the one by Jean, Jean Twenge? Yeah. iGen. Yeah. I mean, it's a long title, so yeah. we're, no one's going to blame you for not remembering <laughs> <laughs> iGen, why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. So we'll hey. we'll include a link to it in the show notes. That's the one hey. you're talking about? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then if you're wanting to to study a theology of work, gosh, there's so many good work, good books on a theology of work. Two that I would recommend, Steve Garber is an author and speaker who's just fantastic in this area. And he has a book called Visions of Vocation, which talks about what he means by that and then gives all these examples. That's very, very helpful in that way. Tim Keller has a great book, Every Good Endeavor, that touches on, I mean, that's all about the theology of work. Connecting your work to God's work is the subtitle. And then, I mean, like Dorothy Sayers has a great essay that touches on vocation and faith. So there's, you know, from every age of Christianity and from every denomination, there's there's really great work that has been done on this. I, I would say like, you know, the Roman Catholics have done a great work on theology of work and I'm, I haven't mentioned anything there. So there's like a, a lot of resources, but those are some that, some that we actually use with our fellows. So, Absolutely. This is great. So I'll include two or three of those resources that you mentioned in the show notes so people can just great. click and awesome. check it out when they're done listening. I have been speaking today with Teresa Wilson. Teresa, You're wonderful. And it's been great to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Amber. It's been humbling to be a part of this. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. 
Our new producer, Drew, took a wonderful job elsewhere, so our brand new producer is the inimitable Leslie Thompson of such podcasts as Tokens with Lee Camp. We are grateful for her work. Find links to some of the books Teresa mentioned, plus the Living Church's own books and the Louisville Fellows Program by clicking the link of your choice in the show notes today. In two weeks, join us for a conversation with the Reverend Dr. Annette Brownlee. Annette is chaplain at Wycliffe College in Toronto, and we'll talk about what seminarians need, what we wish we'd known when heading for Div School, and preparing Episcopalians and Anglicans for ministry together. Until then, I'm your host, Amber Noel, and it's been good to be with you. Peace. Peace.